0: The first lesson, which is also the text for the sermon, from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you peace, not disaster, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. When you seek me, you will find me, when you will seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from your exile. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have sent you as exiles, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Graduation season is now here. If you are graduating this spring, or just buying a present or a card for a Christian graduate, there is an excellent chance that you are going to see the first verse of today's first lesson. It is a verse where God promises he has plans for his people, and that they are good. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you peace, not disaster, plans to give you hope and a future. That is definitely a delightful and divine thought to share with a young person who is heading into the next adventure. But it's also important to notice that when the Holy Spirit originally inspired the prophet Jeremiah to make that promise, the Spirit then connected it right away to prayer and to a rescue from exile. And this Sunday in the church here is Rogate, or Prayer Sunday, in the gospel that St. John records for us that we hear this morning. Jesus makes a promise to his disciples that they will be able to go directly to the Heavenly Father in prayer. They will have straight access to the Heavenly Father because of what Jesus is about to do, taking their sins away. They can go right to the Father because the Father himself loves those disciples and wants to listen to them and answer their prayer. And Jesus makes that promise to the disciples as they are heading into a time that will be very difficult, seemingly desperate. When they have to watch Jesus be arrested, tried, and crucified, Jesus times that promise about their access to the Father for that moment to tell them... Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Despite what you are about to see going on around you, the Heavenly Father still has you, and you still have Him. You can still go to Him in prayer. Now, Jeremiah's original audience for this promise from the Lord, they were also facing a time that was difficult, seemingly desperate. When Jeremiah wrote these words, it was the final days of independence for the kingdom of Judah and its capital of Jerusalem. It was probably within just a couple of months, Jeremiah writing this, that the Babylonian army invaded, laid siege to Jerusalem, leveled it, and carried the people of Judah away into exile in Babylon. It was an economically hard time for the people in Judah, and for them... Economic hardship did not mean that they were a couple of months behind on their bills or they didn't have much of a vacation fund for this summer. It meant they had no food. People were starving to death. Militarily, politically, the situation was difficult. They were surrounded by all these kingdoms who were bent on destroying them and normal everyday life had ceased to be normal and everyday people were afraid, and not just of losing their jobs or that there would be a reduction in the value of their 401Ks, they were afraid that their own physical death was imminent. And with all of these things going on around them, it would only be natural for the few believers who remained in Judah to look around themselves and ask, Why has the Lord abandoned us? Where has God gone? And what are we going to do now? Of course, the sad fact is there weren't a whole lot of people left in Judah who were even asking questions like that because most of them had dropped into paganism. They were now offering their sacrifices and their prayers to idols. Others had just given up on the Lord in hopelessness and helplessness. And to make matters even worse for the people at that time, many of them could still remember, or at least their parents or grandparents could remember, a better time, the so-called Silver Age of Judah, where things were politically peaceful and economically prosperous. You know, that seems to be kind of the general pattern in human civilizations. You have these brief, brilliant periods where everyone is thriving and things are relatively peaceful, but they get kind of sandwiched between times where things are much more challenging and treacherous. I think a lot of people in our land today are coming sliding out of a time when things were relatively peaceful and economically prosperous and into a time where the future is pretty scary. Where things are uncertain economically, socially, politically, personally. And to the few people left in our land who are still listening to the word of the Lord and trusting what he is saying, he makes the same promise that he made to the people of Judah. I do have plans for you, and my plans for you are good. The Lord says it clearly and directly. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you peace, not disaster. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now you can see, contained in that promise, there's kind of this implicit recognition from the Lord that his people don't always perfectly trust the good plans that he has for them. Now the people of Judah, at Jeremiah's time, they had their reasons for those doubts, and their reasons were probably greater than ours, but we have our own. And they are in our lives, and they are coloring our world, And it is in the face of those reasons not to trust that his plans are good, that the Lord speaks directly and says, not only do I have plans for you, not only are they precise and specific and exact, but they are plans for your welfare, not for the calamity that you may be expecting. They are plans to give you hope and a future. And sometimes from where we are standing in our world, it could be hard for us to understand how that's true. Now as Christians, hopefully we would at least say this much in our hearts. I know God has some good plans for me. I know he sent Jesus to take my sins away. So I know at the end of all this, there's heaven, eternal life in heaven. And that's part of his plan for me. And that's great. But what about his plans for me here and now in this world? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) The Lord in His infinite wisdom has decided not to share with me the specifics of all the plans that He has for your life in this world. But did you notice that when the Lord promised good plans to Jeremiah He was pretty short on specifics there too. He didn't give Jeremiah an exact layout of how all this was going to go. And Jeremiah understood that these good plans, whatever they were, in the near future They were going to be taking the people of Judah through a deep valley of destruction, and for many of them, physical death. But the Lord did not make this promise to the unbelievers in Judah. And he does not make this promise to the unbelievers in our world either. He makes it to the people who do trust his word. And besides, when we start with the question, what about here and now? What about my immediate future in this world? We are really starting in the wrong place because a question like that sort of implies that eternal life in heaven is illusory or that it pales in importance with my life here and now in this world. How could it be that an eternal future in heaven could be less important or less significant than what I have going on right here and right now? It's like the kind of people... live with this attitude that as long as I feel good right now, here in the moment, then it doesn't really matter how I'm going to feel 10 minutes from now, or 10 weeks from now, or 10 years from now. Our lives in this world are a blessing from the Lord. They're a good thing. And God wants us to enjoy our lives in this world as much as we can within the limits of His law. But our lives in this world have a distinct end. So God's good plans for us always center and focus on His plan to take us to his heavenly kingdom. Because after all, if God's good plans were only for the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we have here in this world, how good could they possibly be? How much of a future is that, really? The main plan that God has laid out for us is spelled out for us in the gospel of our Savior Jesus. This was the real permanent future that Jeremiah was promising to the people of the Lord. It is the future that our Savior Jesus calls us to and invites us to. It is the future where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, sickness, or sadness, and where death is never going to touch you again. It is the future that Jesus died for so that you could live in its reality forever. God's good plan for you, His ultimate good plan finds its fulfillment in the gospel of your Savior Jesus. Now those people back in Judah, at Jeremiah's time, they were concerned not only about their own immediate future in this world, that they were going to physically die in the near future because they understood that everybody dies, but they were also concerned about the future in this world for their family their extended family that they called clans, their tribe, their nation. You know, one of the signs of the decline of our culture is that so few people think anymore outside of their own individual selves about their families, their descendants, their nation. But to the people back then, those things, family and nation, were at least as important, more important, than my own individual future. And... Jeremiah promised the people that the Lord did have a plan for that too. He had a plan for them, for their family, for their nation, right here and now in this world. He told them that they were still going to be the nation that carried forward God's word and his promises. They would be the nation, when the time came, who would produce the Son of God, the Messiah, in the flesh. The Lord told them, My plan is for the prosperity of your posterity. He had a plan to save them for eternity. He also had a plan for them here and now in this world. So We know we have a share in that eternal plan. The salvation that our Savior Jesus Christ has won for us. And we can actually see the outline of that plan more clearly than they could. Because we live after Jesus came into this world. He has already come and lived for us and died on the cross for us. So we can see God's plan of salvation with greater clarity than they could. But we have the same amount of clarity that they do for God's plans for us here and now in this world, which is not a great deal at all. But God does make us plant the promise that those plans are good too. And again, I cannot preach with any specificity about exactly what those plans are for your life because we are all individual people and God's plans for you may be very, very different than the plans He has for me or for anyone else in this sanctuary. But there is at least one part of God's plan for your life and my life and everybody else here this morning that is the same. Part of His plan for the life of every Christian is for us to live as God's dearly loved children. His plan for your life and for mine is to show the world around us what the Christian faith is. Who the true God is. How much we value the eternal plan that He has for us. It is for the people around us to see the love of our Savior Jesus in our lives. Because then they will come seeking the difference and we will be able to tell them about God's eternal plan. See, one of the reasons... That our lives, our futures, here and now in this world is so imminent and so important is that there are people here and now who do not have a part in God's eternal plan because they do not trust in Jesus or what he has done. And they need to see the love of Christ in your life and mine. They need to see our quiet, calm confidence in the promise of God's eternal plan. They need to see it in how we set our priorities. They need to see it in how Christians face adversity and how we handle the good times in life because Christians don't get too low when things are bad and we don't fly too high when things are good because we do understand that this world and this life is not all there is. They need to see it in how we treat each other with humility and good cheer, how we forgive each other's mistakes without any hesitation, They need to see it in how we choose to judge or not judge ourselves and other people. major part of God's plan for your future in this world is to show his love to the world around Another part of God's plan for your life in this world is for you to pray to him. Jeremiah promised the people in Judah, Then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. When you seek me, you will find me. When you will seek me with all your heart. His plans for you include you talking to him. Seeking him out, especially during the most difficult times of life, and pouring your heart out to him. This is one of the best parts of God's plans for you. That you get to seek him out and talk to him and know that he is listening. A curious catechism student once asked his pastor, and I was the classmate of the catechism student, he asked, if God has plans for us, then what difference can our prayers make? And I was afraid that the pastor was going to strike him. But I think he sensed that the question was coming from innocent curiosity and not from skepticism, so he sort of tamped down his anger and conjured up some patience. And he answered, our prayers can make a difference because God says they do. The prayers of His people are part of the plan that God has for our lives. And of course, this work of seeking the Lord with all your heart, that can only be done by believers. So your faith in God's eternal plan of salvation is central to your prayers. And now we see how this fits the theme of a prayer Sunday. Because God promised through Jeremiah, He will listen. And maybe that doesn't sound like much until you stop and ask yourself, how many people do you know in this world who really want to listen to you? If you are richly blessed, there may be a handful. But you have a God who always wants to listen to you. And it also becomes more meaningful when you understand the full definition of that word, listen. It means to turn a sympathetic ear. And then after you are done listening... To go to work in the best interest of that person. And Jesus in the gospel promises his disciples direct access to the Heavenly Father. Now that was something that the people in the Old Testament, the people at Jeremiah's time, didn't exactly have that privilege. Of course, the Lord invited them to pray and he promised to listen to them. But back then, the prayers of the people were always tied the animal sacrifices that the priests made in the temple. I always used to wonder why, why was that? Why was it that the system was a little bit different back then? And I think it was so that the people would have to visually connect their prayers to sacrifice. They would have to see that their prayers become worthy to the Lord because a sacrifice for sin is being made. Now you and I We don't have to pray from a temple or any particular place because we are God's temple. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we don't have to connect our prayers to an animal sacrifice made by a priest because the Lamb of God has been sacrificed for our sins on the cross. Our prayers connect to the sacrifice that Jesus made. It is what Jesus has done and what he says in today's gospel that make our prayers worthy and acceptable to our Heavenly Father. And he wants us to take it for granted. Not in the sense that we don't appreciate it, but in the sense that we just know it's going to happen. That he is going to answer for our best. Jeremiah said this to people who are facing generations of exile. I will bring you back from your exile. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have sent you as exiles, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from the places From which I sent you into exile. But for Jeremiah and the people of that day, he's talking about the Babylonian exile. The Lord is promising that after 70 years of suffering in Babylon, he is going to bring them back to their promised land and they will enjoy peace and prosperity that they could only dream about while they were away in exile. But Jeremiah's words can also be understood more broadly as addressing all of the Lord's exiles in this world. We are exiles in this world. We live here, but our true home that was opened and won for us in the work of Jesus Christ, our true home is the heavenly kingdom. And God has promised to end our exile, to rescue us from it. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, essentially the Lord exiled them. He kicked them out of the garden, away from the perfection and the pleasure of being in the Lord's presence and in his glory. And when Adam and Eve walked out of that garden, the entire human race was exiled with them. But God is promising to bring it to an end. For us, technically, it's not going to be a return, because we have never experienced perfection. We have never been in the full glory of God's presence. But it will be a return to what God originally intended for the entire human race, and it will be glorious. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to give you peace, not disaster. Plans to give you hope and a future. On that day, we will fully and perfectly recognize that all God's plans for us are good. Amen.